You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to another episode of Psalms for Sojourners. I'm Cole Kirby, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose and the regular host of this podcast. And this week, I am being joined on a phone call by Pastor Peyton Simpson, who is an elder at Sojourn Montrose, to discuss Psalm 40 um, and how Christians, through prayer, can combat the lies um, of the enemy and of enemies of the gospel, not only the enemy being Satan, but enemies of the gospel. Um, and, and I think it's going to be a really helpful conversation just in regards to how do we take prayers in the Psalms, especially something like Psalm 40, where the author seems to be talking about like military or, or violent enemies and apply them to a Christian life apart from physical persecution. And, and I think Peyton is going to provide a lot of helpful insight for you. And so I hope this conversation is a blessing to you. Hey, Peyton. Hey, Cole. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Happy to be on the podcast again. Yeah, thanks for thanks for jumping on and, and joining me. Um, I know that we've already had you on before, and so I'll spare you kind of the full um, introduction of who you are. But um, I appreciate that. But I know that you have been following along with us as a church as we've been praying through the Psalms, and was just wondering how that has been going for you, especially since we only have a few left. Um, the next, I think, next week we finish up, and so um, yeah, what's that been like for you? Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to be nearing the end of that and having stuck with it more or less from the beginning to the end. Um, you know, it's, it's been a journey for me of obviously the content itself, um, reading through the Psalms and committing to that, praying through them, listening to the podcast, but also an exercise in discipline and, and freedom to give myself freedom in discipline. And, and the reason I say that is, is one of the challenges for me has been, um, just with, with all the things I'm juggling and, and my morning devotion time often being cut short by Sage waking up early. Um, I've had to let go of the notion that I can get up at the same time every day and have 30 minutes by myself to read scripture. Um, like I, I, it just has been irregular and I've had to kind of adjust the expectations, which ultimately I think has been a good thing for me. It was a challenge. It's still a challenge. Um, but the Lord is teaching me a lot and kind of exposing some of the legalistic attitude that I've often taken towards morning devotion. Yeah. And so uh, even, even though there's days when I don't get to it at all, like I'm still being formed by God's word and I'm still being taught by the people on this podcast and, um, it's, it's okay that it's not every single day. And I think, like I said, last time I get to catch up on the weekends. So yeah, that's always nice. 
Well, that is, that is good. Um, anything else that, that you've been reading or finding helpful? Well, I've started engaging with the Advent devotional, the Sojourn Advent devotional. Um, we're on day eight now, and it's it's cool just to reflect on um, God's presence among us and, and all of the vast implications that that brings. And not only that, but, you know, the first part of the devotional is really looking at the uh, – the prophets and, and seeing kind of evidence that it is, it is actually in God's character to dwell with his people and to show up uh, in person. And that's kind of cool to see that that's, you know, the incarnation wasn't out of character for God. Yeah. It wasn't just this big uh, surprise, like audible that God called. It was very much in line with how he operated. And it's, I mean, I think it's easy to to understand that maybe like on an intellectual or theological level. Um, but then I, I agree that seeing all of the instances throughout Scripture, especially prior to the birth of Christ, where God revealed himself in a human way um, is, is really, really encouraging. Um, yeah. And go ahead. And I'm, I'm seeing it in more places, just with the focus during Advent being on the incarnation, I'm, I'm seeing it more. And even in this Psalm, you see it at the very end. Um, you know, the upright shall dwell in your presence. So there's this notion of being in the presence of God. And so I'm starting to just kind of see it a lot more with the focus during Advent. Yeah, that's good. That's encouraging. Um, well, you you hinted at it, uh, but today uh, you you were wanting to discuss Psalm one forty, um, and so uh, one, did you want to just briefly explain why you wanted to talk about that psalm, and then two, uh, after that, would you just read through that psalm for us so that we can have uh, some more focused discussion? Yeah, so Psalm one forty was one that felt relevant to me because David is, is really pleading with the Lord about an enemy who, um, whose weapons seem to be words and ideas and plans and not, um, you know, physical weapons. And that felt like our world to me, that felt like, uh, the 21st century, uh, and, and really, I personally could relate to uh, just the idea that there is an enemy out there who sows lies to afflict us. Um, and so I, I, I think in addition to exposing that enemy for, for who he is, the Psalm also prescribes a path forward um, for us to petition the Lord for, for protection yeah. and to thwart that enemy and and so it just it felt right and it felt really encouraging when I read it. So yeah, that's why I picked it. Yeah, why well, should I, I go ahead and read it? Yeah, I think that's a this great reason Psalm, to pick it. Go ahead and read it for us. Cool. This is Psalm one forty. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men, preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. 
Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me. I say to you, I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. Uh, um, well, thank you for reading that. Um, I guess the the first question is, is this psalm is clearly begins with um with David asking for deliverance from from men um and and what is it that these men are doing that David is wanting deliverance from I know you kind of hinted at it before but maybe talk more about that yeah it, it would seem that there are you know, he mentions in verse two, planning evil things. They're stirring up wars, um, trying to trip him up, trip up his feet or set a trap for him. There's mentions of evil plots. Um, it seems like a lot of kind of maybe subterfuge or um, deceit that is uh, particularly cunning. Um, he talks about the, he calls them slanderers. So there's lies being spread and talks about, uh, my favorite phrase in the psalm, the mischief of their lips. Um, you know, there's this notion of like the words that they're saying are somehow causing mischief or, or trouble. And, you know, identifies, he identifies them with the, the enemy, with Satan. He says their tongue is sharp as a serpent's, mm. which immediately brings my mind to the garden and, and the, you know, the original lie and it's clear to me that, that David's, you know, he's talking about some particular men, but that behind all of their work to deceive and entrap uh, and so lies really is, is the enemy, Satan, who's behind it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're seeing that connection primarily with the, the language of the serpent in verse three. Is that... Is that where I'm seeing that? Yeah, for sure. That's where it first stuck out to me. But I mean, as you read it, the character of the enemy it seems to be right in line with the enemy as well. Just the cunning, um, dishonest nature of, of this particular enemy. And it, it's also interesting to me uh, just how David, he's calling these men violent which, you know, we would typically think of violence as physical violence, but there's not necessarily mention of, of 
of any violence on, that's ongoing. And so it's like this notion is being presented that, that words in and of themselves, deceitful words and lies are, are in some sense violent. Yeah. Um, and that's, that was kind of strong language that really stuck out to me. They're not, words are not innocuous and, uh, the lies that are around us that, that Satan tells to us are not innocuous. Um, they're actually violent. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think that that falls in line with also a, a historic kind of understanding of, of the word violence, where I think contemporarily we think of violence as is only having to do with physical harm and bloodshed and things like that. But but I think, you know, if you read literature, even from the early 20th century, you'll see the word violence used um, to describe kind of any sort of of attack, whether it is physically mm. or or on someone's character, which which that seems to be kind of what David is talking about. Maybe these these evil men are are seemingly trying to get David to to trip up in some way, right? They're trying to get him to to falter, to take a misstep, to ruin himself um, or be ruined by their tricks, which certainly does remind us of of the Garden of Eden, and which is where we first see the notion of lies enter into the human condition, where the the serpent is the slanderer, right? He's slandering God. You know, he says like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. God, God doesn't want you um, to be like him. And that's why he told you this. Um, and, and God didn't actually, you know, he didn't actually say these things. Um, and he, he begins with these really crafty and cunning ways to trip up Adam and Eve. And ultimately it leads, mm-hmm. it leads to their ruin, right? It leads to their death. Um, but, but you were you were saying earlier that that this psalm seemed particularly relevant um, to our time or to maybe your life, and so so how do you see that connection? Yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of connections to our world, but you know what it essentially comes down to is we face the same enemy. Um, and granted, I don't think there's anybody out there who's explicitly planning evil or trying to trip me up, not a person, you know, necessarily, but certainly there is the force of Satan who's doing that. And uh, not just me, that's not unique to me, but that is true for all Christians. And, you know, we we live in a, in a culture in a world where we have access to technology, where we can um, really consume any kind of narrative that we want. And we have access to all kinds of different media um, and information where there could be explicit lies, you know, things that are antithetical to the gospel um, being preached, or it could be much more subtle uh, and, and advertising and movies and, and, music and and all of these things that we love and experience. Maybe we don't love advertisements, but maybe I should just say all of these things that we inevitably experience um, are based in particular narratives that are not necessarily in line with the gospel. And so 
the threat we we face is is kind of almost ubiquitous. It feels like um, every time we go online, every time we turn on the radio, every time we watch Netflix, we may encounter um, lies, essentially, or, or or stories that are told with a particular bent um, towards a, a worldly narrative that is antithetical to the gospel. Um, and, and this psalm particularly reminds me to be aware of that and, and to be on guard against it because those, those things are, are not um, necessarily innocuous. And so that, that's kind of where my mind went thinking about you know, our world today and, and what this threat looks like kind of translated to our context. Yeah, I, th- I think that's helpful. And, and yeah, I, I sit here and I think, okay, well, if the world around me, all all the things that I'm being exposed to through media or, you know, even in my neighborhood or or whatever it might be, uh, if there's this constant threat of, of being exposed to lies, um, especially lies that are, are are going to maybe be damaging to my understanding of the gospel or something then then it seems like the natural response to that would just would just to, to be afraid all the time or, hmm. or 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 to withdraw completely right like to yeah. say okay well if i'm going to be exposed to something that that is hard or, or something that, that might not be true or, or whatever it is, then I'm just going to remove myself from that. And, and so one, do you think fear is an appropriate response to that threat? Um, and, and two, do you think withdrawal is an appropriate response to the threat? That, that's a pretty good question. And I think fear is a likely response when, when, if that's, if, if you only listen to this, the first half of the podcast, you know, if all we have is, is the picture that I just presented, then, then yes. And that's appropriate. One should be afraid, but that's not all we have. And that's not the whole story. Um, we have the Holy spirit, uh, which enables us to discern truth from falsehood. And so we are not alone and we are not, um, subject to lies in the same way that one who's without the Holy Spirit is. We have um, God himself guiding us, shining light on the truth of the gospel and also exposing um, you know, these, these worldly narratives for what they are. And so we don't have to be afraid, um, although I confess that sometimes I feel maybe not of afraid but overwhelmed yeah. Like it's, this is certainly uh, a bigger problem than I can address. Um, but I'm not on my own in fighting it. And so there's solace and hope in that. Um, and I think, you know, your, your second question of what's the response, there are certainly, or, or there have certainly been um, people over the years whose response has been to withdraw. Um, I don't, think that that is the appropriate response for the Christian who is on mission to reach a dying world. You know, we, we are certainly called to engage with, 
with the world around us. And, and to a certain extent, that means engaging with the world's views, you know, with the worldly narratives and understanding them. And, um, even, even being able to, to say, yes, that is true, but this is not true of what you're saying. There are elements of truth to what you're saying. And, and there are elements that are, that are not true. Um, and being able to have those conversations, we have to be, we, we can't withdraw. We have to be there, uh, taking part in, in the things of this world. So there is a, a healthy, um, respect, I think that we have to have when we engage, uh, with all of these things, even when it's just for our own entertainment, you know, watching Netflix or whatever, not, I'm, I'm not set, suggesting that those things are bad or that we shouldn't do them. Um, but we should do them cautiously. Yeah. Uh, we should, we should listen to, to, to music, you know, secular music cautiously. We should, um, watch TV cautiously and we should engage in, in online activity and read blogs, whether they're political or fitness or whatever. We should do all those things cautiously knowing that um, there, there could be a, a deeper narrative that, that is harmful to us. And, and that doesn't by any means mean withdrawing or abstaining and, and, and kind of living, living like a hermit life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's helpful. It's interesting because I, I I totally agree that that we don't have to be afraid. And for the reasons you were saying, we we have the spirit. Moreover, we have a victorious savior, right, who has conquered sin and death and Satan and all the effects of lies. And so we don't have this this deep fear of uh, we don't have to be afraid that like these monsters are going to come get us, um, right? Like we have the king of the universe on our side, um, and so we don't have to be afraid of like the boogeymen of lies. Um, and and in order to faithfully uh, be on mission in the world, we can't withdraw. Um, but I I totally agree that we have to be thoughtful in what, in the ways that we engage with the world around us and, and the ideas around us. And it makes me just think about, you know, Paul so often and the author of Hebrews speak so clearly to this, this warning to the church. Um, and it's the warning of, of believing false gospels, like, fake mm-hmm. counterfeit versions of good news um, and falling away from the faith, right? And so like since the Garden of Eden, lies when believed lead to death, right? And so if we believe the lies that the world tells us about what will make us happy or satisfy us or meet the deep needs of our soul um, or whatever it is, we will inevitably take our hands off of the grace that God has shown us in Christ so that we can grab onto other things um, uh, less less satisfying and, and that will lead to our death. And, and so so there's also this consistent call in in the New Testament and in Paul and Peter, especially to be sober minded, right? To like be well thinking people, to have a a worldview that is centered upon uh, upon the Bible and more specifically, the the gospel of Jesus um, and and what he's accomplished 
And it's only once we have that worldview that we can engage with the world around us and be able to take out what is helpful and what's unhelpful and, and even see some of the lies. We were talking before we started recording about like lies are only dangerous when they're hard to recognize as lies. You know, like it, it isn't yeah. it isn't dangerous for me to tell you a lie that is so absurdly false that you would laugh at it. Um, but it mm-hmm. it's little things that get woven in uh, that we have to be wary of. Little snares, kind of as as David talks about. Um, like, what is a snare? But it's it's a trap, right? A trap that you can't see. Like you don't know it's there until you've stepped on it. Um, and, and I think that's what we get exposed to all the time in the world around us. And I think that is largely the device of Satan, right? Is to, to Mm -hmm. package lies and something seemingly benign or seemingly good. Um, but you know, it might seem benign what, what we watch on TV until we realize that, that, little by little it has changed the way that we think about you know sexuality or relationships or any number of things in a way that is outside mm-hmm. the gospel and and it can happen bef- without us even realizing it right that we've adopted kind of a worldly doctrine on something when when the gospel has something better for us and so from a practical perspective what would you tell someone who one is is just feeling like overwhelmed by the lies that that they're being exposed to and unable to to decide like what's truth and what's a lie like what would you tell that person where would they where should they start in just kind of this this yeah. lifelong goal of of walking in sober mindedness and discernment and believing the truth yeah well going back to Psalm 40 you know, David goes to the Lord. He knows that God is is capable of protecting him, and so that's where he goes for refuge. Uh, he says, "Ask God to guard him and preserve him." Um, so, to me, the that's the first place that I'm going. And this is something that maybe through reading the Psalms this time around has really been ingrained in me. But praying to the Lord regularly for protection from lies from the enemy. Um, and that can be kind of in the context of what we're talking about, like, um, just, just the worldly doctrines and things that are, that are among us and among our culture and protection against that, but also just protection from, um, shame and and guilt and feeling like I haven't done enough. And, and those kinds of those more personal lies about myself that, the enemy, you know, wants us to believe. Um, I, I've found myself a lot more frequently lately, just praying that the Lord would remind me of his truth and, and really cover me. Like David says, cover my head, um, protect me from those lies. Because the reality is that, um, the lies from our end may seem believable from time to time, but as we've already said, God has defeated the enemy and, and God knows truth from lies. And so when we go to him for protection, we're going uh, 
um, somewhere safe where we can be sure that he hears us and, and will provide protection. So that's, that's the first place I go. And, um, I, I like to go there regularly because the threat is, is regular and consistent. Yeah. Um, the second place I go is, is back to scripture. And so reminding myself of the truth, um, through scripture, also through preaching and, and through singing hymns and, and things like that, or, you know, doing the Advent devotional, like there's places we can go to get truth ultimately from scripture and to memorize truth. We've been, um, we found an album of, it's like for children. It, it says it's for children, but to me, the album is, is really good musically, but it's just, it's the band, the corner room. And they're just singing through small chunks of scripture and song. And we've just kind of been putting it on at the house and, and singing along to it. And it's been fun, but also really edifying. And it's like constantly be reminding, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is who you are. You're loved by God. Um, and that inevitably protects us from um, believing any kind of lies from the world. Yeah, I th- I think that is excellent, um, excellent and practical advice. Even though it might seem like the same diet uh, that we as pastors would give over and over and over again is is to pray and read your Bible. Um, <laughs> well, it's a good diet, but it it is it is a good diet, and it's and it's consistently what God calls us to when we read Scripture. If we see the way that He speaks to His people, it's you know remember who I am remember what I've done and meditate on it. Right. Like, and that's, that's what I love. And we can kind of close here. The, the Psalm ends with David saying, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. I, I love that because David has so much confidence in the Lord. Uh, yeah. He has confidence mm-hmm. in the Lord's character. He knows who God is. He knows that God is Yahweh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Um, like this is the God that he knows, right? The God who delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, the God who delivered him from Saul and gave him the kingdom. And so David is, he's just, deeply aware of the character and person of God to the point that he has utter confidence that God is going to maintain him and protect him and preserve him. And, and, and Anna and I have been talking a lot lately just about intimacy with the Lord and and wanting more intimacy with the Lord. And, And part of it is so that we are just more deeply reminded um, of his character so that we can trust him more and so that we can be sure of his faithfulness to us when, when things are hard, when we're believing lies and, and, and those things. And, and that sort of confidence that David has, we can have because there's an empty tomb, right? Like, like mm-hmm. there's an empty tomb that says like lies will not have power over me and death will not have power over me. Um, because my king has conquered them. Uh, and, and so I know that the upright will dwell in your presence and, 
and that that dwell in your presence, like that's the intimacy with the Lord, that we get to participate in the things of God with God um, because he has called us upright. Uh, not because we're perfect, but because he's perfect and he loves us perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, how, how to avoid the lies. Um, yeah, go to the Lord in prayer. Know the truth by reading scripture um, and, and then just be confident in, in God's character to continue to be what it has always been, which is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts from you, Peyton, before we close? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I echo, you know, your thoughts on that last versus, uh, just the confidence and, and the peace that we can have knowing and, and reminding ourselves of who God is and, and that he has the final word. Um, he has final authority over Satan um, and all of his, all of his plans and all of the traps that he set, um, all of the hidden snares will all come to naught and be, you know, undone and, and all of that's going to fall apart. And, you know, David prays that the mischief of their lips would overwhelm them, but we know that uh, that that we can pray that as a indicative that the mischief of their lips will overwhelm them, that Satan's mischief of his lips will overwhelm him, and we can pray that with confidence. and And there's just so much peace in that prayer. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, well, Peyton, thank you so much uh, for joining me and for shedding some light on Psalm 140. Um, it was really good to have you. Likewise, glad to be on.